Now, as we get started here this morning, we're going to be considering the need for Christ in Corona. But before we get into that, let me uh, just take a moment to just encourage you, to encourage you to uh, be following the, the guidelines and things of our leaders. Now, some of those are just recommendations, so there are other ways we could be going about this and still need to think through some issues. But the guidelines that they give us, uh, you know, we're all in this together. And they're there to protect us and try to help us bring this to a conclusion as quickly as possible. In the Bible, we see the command to follow our leaders in Romans chapter 13. The Bible tells us to obey those that God has put in authority over us, so we ought to be doing that. Uh, also, there's precedent for this kind of thing as we look at back into the Old Testament when they dealt with things like contagious skin diseases. The people were to go to the priests and get checked out, and they were quarantined away from other people until they could prove that their condition was over. And so that's why we find things even in the New Testament. When Jesus healed certain people, he told them to go and show themselves to the priest. It's because the priest was the one that had to clear them to be able to re-enter normal society. So there is biblical precedent for quarantining and some of the steps that our government is taking at this time. So I think the best we work with them, hopefully the quicker it will be over, and we can kind of get back to life as normal. I want to consider this morning the need for Christ and Corona. I want to apply the gospel to every situation in our life. And the situation that's dominant in our life at the moment is dealing with this coronavirus. And so let's do that. To start with, I'd like to look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. It says he is the image, talking about Jesus Christ, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. It says that he holds all things together. And some might question that. In fact, often I think some, or maybe even all, question that at times like this. Times of natural disasters, times of pandemics, times of war, where they question, what is, what is God doing in this world, or where is God in this world? The Bible says that He's holding all things together, but it feels like things are falling apart. How do I understand this? In fact, some people have even used this as a reason for their unbelief. And the reasoning on that goes something like this. Because of all the evil that I see in the world, because of the hurt and the hardship, I cannot believe in Him and there just can't be a God. But if you think about it, that actually is evidence to the existence of God. And this is why I would say that. When you ask the question, why? Why is this happening? You're acknowledging that something is wrong with this situation. And if you're acknowledging that something is wrong, then you're also acknowledging that there must be a right situation also. If there is a right situation, then there has to be God. Because otherwise, if we're just in this naturalistic world that's all here because of natural purposes, then there is no right or wrong. Everything just is. It's not right or wrong when uh, the cheetah eats the wildebeest. 
It's not right or wrong when an asteroid hits a planet. There's just really no way to, to measure right and wrong if this is all just happenstance and if it's all uh, just natural processes, if there is no God. When you think about that, that troubles us at a very deep level because that means there's no difference between Hitler and Billy Graham or Hitler and Jesus Christ for all that matter. If there is no God, then you would not feel the brokenness of the world that we live in. So in times like this, when we feel the brokenness on a much deeper level, when we feel that and we know that something is wrong, we know that this needs to be dealt with, we know that it's bad that people are dying, and we feel the brokenness of the world that we live in, we're acknowledging that if there's a brokenness, there's also a standard by which we would call it whole. If there's sickness, we have a standard which would call it healthy. If there's evil, we know that there's a standard of goodness. Otherwise, we could not even call it evil or broken or sick. And so it actually is evidence for the believing in God. The reason that I bring that up is because we need Christ in this time. Christ entered our brokenness. He, he entered our sickness and, and took those things upon himself. And so as we consider the need for Christ in Corona this morning, I want to share with you three reasons that we need Christ. First of all, because Christ gives the answers. Now, he's not going to give us answers to every question that we have. We have a lot of questions about Corona, and, he, and he's not going to give us every answer. But we look in the Bible and we see the brokenness and we feel the brokenness in our experiences in this world. And we look in the Bible and we can find an answer to why we experience that brokenness. You see, as we look at the very beginning of the Bible, we see God creating the world. God, at many different times through his creation process, stopped and, and looked at what he'd created and said, it is good. And he create one thing, it is good. And the next thing, and it is good. And, and when he gets all done with all of it, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, it says, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And so at the beginning, we didn't, we didn't have this brokenness. We didn't have these struggles. There would be no natural disasters. There would be no pandemics. But something happened. And the Bible tells us that Adam and Eve were tempted by Satan. and They were given the choice to obey God. And he put uh, within the garden this, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if they would obey God and not eat from that tree, then things would go on in this blessed condition. But if they chose to disobey and rebel against God, then it would bring sin and death and corruption, this brokenness that we experience. And that's what exactly what the Bible tells us is the condition that we find ourselves in. This is why we experience things like these pandemics, that we experience death and we experience disease and we experience heartache and pain and all of these different realities that are within our world. God created the world good. And we gave it over to corruption through our decision to follow sin. And that's why in the book of Romans, in chapter 8, in verses 18 through 23, the Apostle Paul says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing. And notice this is going to be a repeated thing, the, the creation. He's going to keep referring to the creation. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Now that's talking about when we are glorified, when Christ comes back for us and he takes us to be with himself and we get glorified bodies and when everything is redeemed, the redemption is complete. It says in verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, 
not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. When mankind fell into sin, they took the whole creation with them. The whole creation is groaning. And I think of this passage every time that we experience a a natural disaster, a, a hurricane or a tornado or an earthquake that is experienced on our world. I think there's creation groaning. Well, it's the same thing when we face a pandemic. Creation is groaning. There's viruses that are going to cause us problems. And it says we ourselves in our own bodies, we're groaning. And I find this to be true just not only with pandemics, but just in my natural aging process. At age 40, I noticed that something was different than it had felt in my 30s. And as I entered my 50s, I noticed things felt very different than they did even in my 40s. And I'm halfway through my 50s now. I imagine as I approach that 60 deadline that I will recognize that there is a big difference between there. Why? My, my body is groaning more. <laughs> as I get up off the couch, there's groans that it didn't used to be there. I didn't used to even think about it. You see, part of our current experience is the fact that we live in a broken world experiencing that groaning. The groaning within our own selves. The groaning that we see in the nature around us and in one another. We live in a broken world, and we're a broken people. But even within this passage, in this statement of brokenness, this statement of corruption, it looks toward hope. That we entered into this corruption, and immediately upon that, there is a hope for the redemption, a hope for this restoration that would would come. Now, this, this corruption that we feel is... The result of what? It's the result of sin. Sin is what brought this into the world. Now, but we do need to be careful with this. We recognize that the presence of these kinds of things are here because of sin and sin's corrupting work in the world and on the creation itself. But what I'm not saying is that because somebody got the virus, that means there's more sin in their life than there is in somebody else's that doesn't have it. We are not saying that. In fact, Jesus dealt with his disciples and with other people around him in that. I remember when the disciples came across a blind man. They asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither of them. In Luke chapter 13, in verses 1 through 5, it says there were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. There were a couple of catastrophes that had happened in their area that they were very familiar with. Some of the people had erroneously jumped to the conclusion that these people that were killed in these catastrophes must have had a greater level of sin or some certain sin in their life that God was punishing them for with these catastrophes. And Jesus answers that and says, no, that's not why these things happen. 
But then he also acknowledges that in this sense, all of us are in the same boat. That it's not just them that need to repent. We all need to repent. We all need Christ as he went to that cross to pay for our sins for us. We all need Christ for the redemption that he has paid for through his blood and that he is going to fulfill and bring to completion when he returns for us. We all need Christ in Corona. Now, this part already is leading to the next point that I see that applies to us within the gospel is not only does Christ give answers, but Christ gives hope. He gives hope. In, in Genesis, Adam and Eve had a, were in a state of innocence until they sinned against God. And then they brought the curse down upon us. And immediately God started to foretell of this one that would come and would crush the head of the serpent, the one that would bring redemption, the one that would be that innocent sacrifice that would shed his blood, lay down his life for the sins of, uh, of all of us. We're on the other side of the cross. He's already come. He's already paid for our sins on that cross. He's laid down His life for us. He has purchased our redemption. But we're in that time period right now where we are awaiting His return. We're looking forward to, in great hope, to the return of Christ when He comes back and He sets everything right. But for right now, we get to experience the redemption being the forgiveness of our sins, but we look forward to the time when we're taken away from even the presence of sin and its consequences within this world because we're not at that time yet but we will be one day well jesus in talking to his disciples in john chapter 16 and verse 33 he said i've said these things to you now we should probably know what things those were for a couple of chapters he's been telling them that he's about to depart and that he wouldn't be with them anymore He's been telling them that he was going to be killed, but that he would also raise again from the dead. He's telling them that they themselves will be scattered because they will be in fear and that one of them would betray him. So he's also pointing out the need for them to dwell within him, to continue in him, just as a vine does in a branch. And now he says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so he's telling the disciples that it's going to be your ongoing experience, that you're going to continue to experience trouble, sufferings, hardships within this world. But at the same time, don't lose hope because I have overcome the world. And so they were to continue to look for that coming day when they would be relieved of all these things. Now that's important. It gives us the ability to face our trials and our struggles with hope. To face our trials knowing that this is not the end. Even if something results for us in death, which for most of us with the corona disease it will not, from what they can see so far. But even if it results in death, it is not the end for us. There is a great hope in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ went to that cross and He took our sins and our sorrows, our brokenness upon Himself. He died in our place to give us this redemption, this hope, this future that we have to look forward to. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 18, remember we already read this earlier, in dealing with the whole creation groaning in the experience that we find ourselves in. In verse 18, the Apostle said, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You see, the Apostle Paul lived a life of ongoing suffering for the sake of Christ. And he said, that's okay because what's coming ahead is so much better than what's here now. Uh, I'm all right with it. And he's looking forward to that day. Revelation 21.4 describes that day. He says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. 
Neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And so there's, going to, there's coming a time when we're going to experience that redemption. There's a bright future of hope. And it's that bright future that we can bank on that helps us in the decisions that we have to make now and in the actions that we need to be busy at within our present circumstance, within our current sufferings. In Romans chapter 5, he deals with how we should walk in the midst of these sufferings. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So you see, the Apostle Paul said we can even rejoice in our sufferings, being thankful in our sufferings because sufferings have a good work in our life. Sufferings promote endurance. I always think back to my days in wrestling when I was in high school when I think about this passage. And I look back to the things that my coaches when I was in sports in high school, put us through. They put us through a regimen of activity that would try us, that would push us to our limits. And sometimes we felt like beyond our limits. But in that, it built a physical endurance. And it built not only a physical endurance, but an endurance inside, an endurance of character, a strength that when you felt like you couldn't go on anymore, you dug down and you did. Run one more lap. Run one more sprint. Do one more set of stairs. Push that weight up one more time. It built that character and that endurance within you. You know, it was later that I realized that part of the reason that my dad wanted me in those sports so bad was because of that character that those trials would bring. Well, our Heavenly Father does the same thing. He uses the, even the bad situations, the struggling situations within our, our lives to build that character. That character creates within us a hope, a trust. And that hope will not make you ashamed. That hope will help you to stand upright. This kind of leads us right into the next point that we're coming to. And I think about some of the things that we've seen and experienced inside of this calamity. Uh, right now in the news, there's, what I think, about four senators that they're questioning. Because these are people with inside information to what was happening with the coronavirus before any of us had that information, and they're questioning them because all of them sold a lot of stocks, got their, themselves out of the stock market. And I don't know whether they did it or not, and I'm making no accusations. The processes that are in place can deal with that. But every one of us feel kind of offended when we hear about things like that, and every one of us, we, we kind of, the hair goes up on the back of our neck, and we're like, that's not right. And we ask the question, did some of our leaders sell us out for their own personal gain? Did they allow us to continue heading toward this thing blindsided while they made some adjustments to cover themselves first? And again, I'm not saying that they did, but those are the questions that get asked. And I ask myself the question, if I had a million, three million, four million dollars in the stock market, and I knew that there was something coming that was going to tube it, how hard would that be to not make some kind of phone call to make that you see, within our own selves, we deal with the same struggle. Maybe to put it more on our level and not these millionaire senators, maybe we should ask the question this. If I suspected something was coming that might cause a toilet paper shortage, <laughs> what would I do? You see, these are the kind of things where it says our hope makes us unashamed 
Because of our hope in Christ, that makes us solid. It makes us steadfast. We should not panic in fear, but we should stand firm in faith, trusting in Christ not only for our salvation but for our daily needs. And uh, that trust in Christ will build character. It strengthens us. We should be confident in time of crisis because of our hope and faith. We should not be looking to get what we can before the thing comes in or even find a way to take advantage of it financially. We should actually be more concerned about others. And that's exactly what we find in Christ also. We need Christ because He gives us direction. And in Philippians chapter 2, we find the direction that is given to us for our daily lives because of the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? The gospel is the fact that Christ came. He was willing to leave heaven and come to this earth to lay down his life for us so that we could benefit from it. So as we live the gospel out in our lives, we need to be willing to sacrifice for others. Be willing to not just look after our own well-being, but look after the well-being of others. In Philippians chapter 2, he applies the gospel to these people's daily lives. And he says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, and there is encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, absolutely there is comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. So he says, look, all these things that we experience in Christ, if, if you experience these, if you have these, and we do, he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Now what that passage is saying is that Jesus Christ was in heaven. He had all the splendors of heaven, the glories of heaven, the communion with the Father, the oneness with the Father, and he had it awesome. It says, but he did not count that as something to be grasped. In other words, he wasn't clinging to that, saying, no, I won't let it go. He willingly let go of that to come down here and to experience our brokenness. To come down here and to suffer in our place. That's the gospel. And it's that gospel that delivers us from our sins, that that brings us into this bright hope in Christ. But it's also that gospel that we're supposed to live. And how do we live that gospel? He told us right beforehand, we need to consider others greater than ourselves. We need to not only consider our own needs, we need to consider other people's needs, even to the point where we're willing to put their needs before our needs. We've experienced this down through our Christian history. Christians have over 2,000 years of experience in this. If you look at the early Roman Empire, in the 2nd century and in the 3rd century, there were a couple different plagues that hit. And it struck fear within the Roman Empire. In fact, people fled from the plague. So much so that people even fled, leaving their sick family members behind. 
so that they wouldn't catch it and themselves perish as well. But you know what happened? An astounding thing happened. The Christians stayed. They didn't run from the plague. They stayed and they looked after the sick. And they nursed people right up to the point of their death. And the plague was not sympathetic toward the Christians either. Many of the Christians caught the plague themselves and died. But they still would not give up caring for the sick, even though they knew it was not only possible, but probable that it would cost them their own lives. But they knew that they had a hope that reached beyond the grave. They knew they had a hope that they would go to be with Christ when they died. And that they were looking forward to that glorious time when there would be no more sickness or pain and they could experience that. And so they were willing to sacrifice even their own lives. Even their enemies recognized this. The Christian church grew dramatically in the 2nd and 3rd century. Even though they were a persecuted church, they grew because the people that they nursed back to health and others that saw their dedication converted to Christianity. Julian, in the 4th century, tried to put an end to the Christian growth. He recognized why they were growing. He said they stayed behind not only to take care of their own sick, but to take care of ours. When we forsook our own family members, counting them as dead and we left, the Christians stepped in and took care of them. And so he began encouraging the unbelievers to do the same, to to be people of strong character, to be people that cared about one another. But his encouragements fell on deaf ears because they had no foundation for that belief. You see, the Christians had the Gospel. The Gospel told them that everybody was worth saving. The Gospel told them that even if they lose their own life saving somebody else, they're going on to a better place anyway. Their life continues. They had the Gospel. So they were able to live out the Gospel because of the experience of the Gospel themselves. You know what, people? That's what we're called to do. Sometimes applying this means... Not necessarily that you're going to go out and do something, but it means that you're going to stay home. In order to stop, help stop the spread of infection, there's, there's different ways that we can carry out this plan. But the point is we need to put other people's needs above our own. We need to put other people's health and well-being above our own desires and our own accomplishments, our own finances, uh, our own needs. And so as we recognize our need for Christ in Corona. We need Him for answers. We can understand why. We're in a broken world, and this broken world is going to have pandemics and natural disasters and wars, and uh, we're just going to experience those things. Not only do we have answers, we have one of our answers is that we have hope. We're looking forward to the day when these things will be taken away from us. There will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more crying. And we also see that Christ gives us direction. Because of that great hope that we have, it liberates us, it strengthens us, it encourages us to be involved in helping one another, in reaching out to one another. And so we need Christ in Corona. Let's pray. Our Father, thank You so much for this moment. And Lord, while we're not encouraged or excited about the the presence of this virus, Lord, we we are encouraged by Your presence with us in this virus. And we thank You for it. We pray that You'd help us to have wisdom and to see what can be done at different places or different situations. Help us to find creative ways to be able to reach out to others and to help, but also to obey our leadership and to follow their guidelines and, and to consider 
what our actions might do in, in further spreading the virus. So we just pray for wisdom in these things. We thank you for our leaders also, and we pray for wisdom on their part. Lord, it's a trying time, and it's a time where people want to spread the blame or, or, or blame someone else. But the fact of the matter is it's just it's a virus. It's part of the broken experience within our world. And so, Father, we just pray that you give our leaders wisdom and guidance uh, at this time and help them to direct us in, in good paths, paths that would lead to safety. We thank you for our medical professionals that are standing in there, standing in the gap and treating people and helping them. We pray that, that these things would be effective and, and the loss of life would be minimal. Pray that you would help people also as they're isolated one from another give encouragement. Thank you for the tools that we have available to us today through technology to be able to reach out to one another and stay in touch uh, even though we're physically absent. But Father, we just pray for your blessing on our nation and on our world. It's in Jesus' name we pray it. Amen.